Hello, Cornerstone. My name is Billy Nam, and I'll be doing today's scripture reading. Today, we are reading Ruth chapter 3 from the NIV. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, someone startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. The word of our Lord. Thank you, Billy. So, um, if you didn't hear on your way in from one of the ushers, uh, we have a new system of uh, our new AC units. So, we're going to call this side of the sanctuary the warm side, and this side of the sanctuary the little cooler side, because, you know, everybody's a little different, so, you know, we're getting used to this. So, the side over here, I think, is set around 77 degrees. And the side over here is like 75. So um, it's not so bad if you're not sitting right underneath one of the ACs. But if you're in between, it's okay. But if you're right underneath, like I chose right here, it's kind of refreshing. But that's just subjectively for me, right? It might be freezing if uh, Estelle shared last week you were pretty cold, right? Yeah, yeah. So just to let you know that, right? It has nothing to do with the message that I'm going to about to preach. But I just... <laughs> So, we're, because we're all warm with Jesus in our hearts, right? So, but we're talking about physical temperature here. So, we've been uh, plugging our way through Ruth uh, a few weeks ago. Last week, we heard from Cindy, our missionary. And uh, the weeks before that, Pastor Paul had been uh, uh, dealing with Ruth chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we see uh, Naomi and her horrible situation where all the men in her life died, her husband, her two sons, and how Ruth 
faithfully stuck with Naomi and wants to be a part of Naomi's life as a faithful daughter-in-law and also to make Naomi's God her God. So there's this faithfulness. But Naomi kind of responded to this tragic events in her life with bitterness and kind of like, wow, God is against me kind of thing. Woe is me. But yet, you know, if you look through scriptures, a lot of people who are faithfully, stay faithful to the Lord, complain to the Lord a lot and say, why is this? Why did you bring this on me? It's so horrible, you know, kind of things. But they don't give up faith. And we'll see today in chapter three how the faithfulness to God, who is Naomi's God, uh, her faithfulness to him is displayed. So that's the title of the message is Faithfulness Displayed. You know, some years ago, in a resort area of the northeastern coast of our country, uh, a small town had this town meeting. And it was a pretty small town. And so there was about, oh, two dozen people in this town meeting, and they were, they were dealing with some dire issues. They had financial issues as a town. <clears throat> and in this uh, gathering, small gathering, there was one man that nobody knew uh, that had joined them. He must have been a visitor, and, you know, it was a public meeting, so he's like, yeah, I guess I'll just go in and join. So, and, and when they were, <clears throat> excuse me, talking about projects uh, that they were considering to do or thinking of cutting because of their financial issues, he spoke up to give his opinion, and this is a visitor. So he was quickly interrupted, like, yeah, what, who is this guy? He's not one of us. And so he just kept quiet the rest of the meeting. And then he left early, but as he was walking out, this other townsperson came in while he was walking out and saw the guy and then came in excitedly and said, is, is he going to help us? Did he, did, he, did he say he was going to help us? And then everybody was there like, what are you talking about? Who, we don't even know who this guy is. Who, who is he? And, he go, and he's like, he is John D. Rockefeller. His yacht is parked in our harbor. John D. Rockefeller at that time was like somebody like Bill Gates today, you know, a multi-billion dollar person. And, uh, and then they all were like, ah, oh, we didn't even know who he was. And, you know, we shut him down before he could say anything. And so it was like, ah, well, have, have you ever kicked yourself for missing an opportunity, a great opportunity that you realized later after the fact? And you were like, ah, if only I knew that, I would have acted differently. Yeah, I think most of us can relate to that in some degree or another. I mean, we've missed opportunities to maybe make a positive difference in someone's day, and we realize we missed that, or opportunity to care for someone who was hurting, and we missed it. Or we missed opportunities to share Jesus with a friend or a family member or somebody that we've met. And we realize later, like, oh, man, I had an opportunity and I missed it. And we've missed opportunities that have knocked on our door, and we've missed them because we haven't really seen them as an opportunity at all. Pastor Andy Stanley made this statement in his book called Visioneering. You know, he's a great Christian leader and a pastor down south in our country. And he said this, we don't need to pray more for, or for more miracles. We just need to be more sensitive to the opportunities that God brings our way. Now, why is it that some people seem to get all the opportunities and they take advantage of it, and then others just seem like their life is without any opportunities? Well, I would propose that it's because some people know when the opportunities come and they take advantage of it, and others are just blind to them, and they just go right by them 
and they're ignorant of it. It's like this story of this uh, many years ago of the shoe salesman who, whose company sent him to Africa to sell shoes. But only after two weeks, he wrote this letter back to his company. He said, take me home. Nobody wears shoes here, <laughs> all right? But so the company said, ah, so let's try another guy. So they sent another guy after that guy came back. And then after two weeks, he wrote a letter back said, send as many shoes as possible because nobody wears shoes here. You know, it's just, it's just a different way of observing where's the opportunity before you. How many of us miss that opportunity? Well, God provides you and me with all kinds of opportunities every single day. But are we aware that they're there in our midst, right in front of us? Are we even aware of that? Well, Ruth chapter 3 is all about how Naomi saw an opportunity and she knew there was a need and how these two kind of worked together and she took action. And we, we will see this and this flows out of her faithfulness to God because for her to see this was based on God's structure for his Israelites, his commands to them. And it's all around this term guardian redeemer, which I'll get into in a little bit. So let me read through the first part of this text again, because repetition is the best for us to remember, right? So let's read through the first five verses, or I will read it for us. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose woman you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let, any, don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you ask, or you say, Ruth answered. Now, when we read this, from our cultural perspective, we think that Naomi's trying to use Ruth to seduce Boaz, right? We think it's some kind of sexual encounter, maybe, that's happening here that Naomi is uh, suggesting. But this absolutely was not sexual. Uh, Naomi just wants to find a home for Ruth. Now, Ruth, she loves Ruth because Ruth is, has been so devoted and faithful to her. And so she wants to find a husband for Ruth. And as far as uh, Naomi knew, Ruth may have been barren because she was married to Naomi's son for maybe a few years without any children. So it's not like Naomi had the hope that there would be an heir or something, but she just wanted to find. I mean, I'm sure that was part of it, but you know, not, there's no guarantee. That's up to the Lord. And so Ruth may have been barren. And Ruth... Um, was, I mean, what was really going on here in the sense of uncovering the feet and lying down there with uh, Boaz? Well, to understand this, we need to go back to chapter 2 and deal with the, this term, guardian uh, redeemer. Uh, when uh, Pastor Paul spoke from the ESV version, and there it's just redeemer, and in the NIV it's guardian redeemer. This term appears again in chapter 3 a few times in verses 9, 12, and 13. And understanding this term and what it means is really key to the story of Ruth. The Hebrew term translated as guardian redeemer is a highly technical term. And it could literally be translated as, for example, 
one of those who has the right of redemption over us. Do you get the whiff of the gospel in there a little bit? And, or we could just say someone who has the right and ability to bail us out of our trouble that we're in. And such a person was a relative from the same tribe of Israel. And this was all set up by the Lord God himself in the instructions he gave from Mount Sinai uh, to Moses for the Israelites. We can read about it in Leviticus. And, and so this would be a person from the same tribe of Israel who was required to protect the interests of the family and the clan that they were a part of. And this involved an individual's freedom if they were in slavery, uh, the, his goods, his descendants. And one of the duties of such a guardian redeemer was to produce an heir for one who had died. And another uh, responsibility was to redeem property that was at risk of being lost, in a sense because of the financial situation or the loss of the men in the family, and it would need to be sold outside the family for you know, their sustenance. And so the guardian redeemer had those two key roles of producing an heir or at least helping protect and keep that property within the, the tribe, that tribe of Israel, within the family, um, and not to be outside the family. So as we see next week in chapter 4, that these, both of these duties play a really important role to the story of Ruth. Now, for us Today, I'm going to go through some terms here in this, this part, the first five verses, to help us understand what's going on. So let's talk about threshing floor first. Now, a threshing floor is simply this hard-packed piece of ground, or it could be on bedrock, and they, they would actually, the farmers would take the grain and they would beat it or crush it there. And then they would, uh, it would that process removed the husk around the kernel of grain. And then they would winnow it to separate the kernels, or the, the outside part, which was called the chaff, from the grain itself. So they would winnow that. So this is, all these terms are in this, these first five verses. And then to winnow means to throw the grain, literally, physically, up in the air, and let the wind or the breeze separate the chaff from the grain. Because the chaff is lighter than the kernels. So the grain would fall, in one place, and the chaff would be carried away separate from the grain kernels. And this is exactly what these guys are doing. When I was in Indonesia and they had rice, they do the same thing with rice. They'll, they'll, they'll winnow the rice and they'll throw it up into the air. So this separates that. So it, it's interesting that this was such a common part of life in this time period, in the agricultural part of you know, in Israel, that the prophets and the Lord God used this image often in the way he would speak to the Israelites. For example, in Isaiah 41, he says, See, I will make you into a threshing sledge, new and sharp with many teeth. You will thresh the mountains and crush them and reduce the hills to chaff. You will winnow them. The wind will pick them up and a gale will blow them away. But you will rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. Catch that image there, right, of the separation of the chaff and the grain. Now let's delve into this whole idea of uncovering the feet. I mean, that's the real juicy part of the story, right? Uncovering the feet. Well, Naomi had Ruth told her to uncover Boaz's feet when he was sleeping, right? Like sneak up and then uncover the feet. Now the Hebrew word means not just feet, could mean like the whole leg part, so you might cover, uncover the legs. 
however it is, right? But why would she have Ruth do this? Probably because you don't want to just like, Boaz, wake up, you know? <laughs> but you would uncover his feet and legs so that in the cool night of the air, because it's a desert climate, it's going to get cold, that eventually he'd wake up because his feet are cold. <laughs> so he'd wake up. And that's what it says, right? That's kind of what happened. You see, Naomi saw the need for both of them, really, but especially for Ruth as being a young woman without a husband. And then she saw the opportunity of how they intersected. The opportunity being that Ruth needed a husband and Boaz was part of the family, at least a relative. And according to God's plan, as he had deemed possible, this is the faithfulness that Naomi still had to the Lord God, even though she was bitter and she was kind of like, God, why'd you bring all this misery on us? But she wasn't unfaithful. She actually returned to her homeland, and then she seized this opportunity. And so she, Ruth needed a husband and, and is suited for, to make this proposal to Boaz, who is a uh, guardian redeemer. Now, Naomi didn't directly credit the Lord with this bit of opportunity, but indirectly she did. And so this brings out the first principle that I want to highlight here in our story, that when we are faithful to God, we, in a sense, our radar sees need plus opportunity in our lives as from God. It's not a coincidence. There are no coincidences in life when we follow the Lord God. And that's the principle here. Faithfulness sees need plus opportunity as from God. And as followers of Jesus, we can know that such intersections of need and opportunity are absolutely from our loving Lord God. And he wants us to act on it. Faithfulness sees need plus opportunity is from God. So faithfulness to the Lord God is to do everything humanly possible with the opportunities that he gives us in our lives and point people to Jesus in the process of when we take advantage of these opportunities because they are from him. You know, ingenuity, resourcefulness, imagination, creativity, cleverness are all ways that we can express God's design for each of us in pursuing an opportunity that he brings to us, that he gives us to see and pursue it knowing that it comes from him and it's all orchestrated by him. And we can be faithful to him by giving him the credit for these opportunities, especially when need and opportunity match. You know, our English word opportunity is interesting because it comes from a Latin word that means toward the port. And the image here is that for a ship who takes advantage of the wind and the tide to come in and harbor in the port. It's taking advantage of that opportunity. Those two variables have to work together. It's, it's almost like the shortness of our life makes a strong argument that we need to make the most of the opportunities that God gives us because we only got a, what, a 70, 80 years of if we have that. I think some of us will be cut short for whatever reason, God's, God's will. And for example, this is throughout Scripture too. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, meaning like outside the faith and not yet believers. Make the most of every opportunity. So knowing this, is our attitude when we approach, the, when we woke up today, are we waking up with expectancy? Like what opportunities will God bring my way today? 
What opportunities will I become aware of? Lord God, help me see the opportunities that you bring in front of me today. And the faithful believer and follower of Christ, will, we will be able to see when there's a need in someone else's life or in our own, and when God brings an opportunity to meet that need, and then we can point to Jesus in the process because he's the one that makes all things work out for the good. So let's move on in the story here. Ruth 3, 6 through 11. So she went down, this is Ruth, goes down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in a good spirits, he had a good amount of wine in him, right? He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, tiptoed, uncovered his feet and lay down. And in the middle of the night, something startled the man. And he turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am uh, your servant, Ruth, she said. Did I? uh, You still got that there. Okay, yeah, good. Um, She said, and spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, which whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Here we see the faithfulness to God in Ruth's acts of following Naomi's suggestion and also in the sense of her willingness to self-sacrifice. It's displayed in herself to just put herself out there to, to do this plan because Ruth risked her reputation to sneak in the dark and do this with a man uh, it was kind of scandalous in a sense because it would, be, it would be opportunity for misunderstanding of why this would be happening. But she did this to help Naomi by seeking marriage with Boaz, a guardian redeemer. Now let's just freeze this mental frame for a minute. Boaz, a prominent community leader, it seems, in this, because later we'll see he's in a, he meets in the gate of the town. And then Ruth, a foreign woman who has come, and in the dark, they're laying down next to each other. Whoa. What the gossips of Bethlehem could have used that as fodder for the gossip going around, like, well, these two, did you know that they were in the dark in the threshing floor together, right? That could have been really bad in a sense, but Ruth knew Boaz to be an honorable, and Naomi too, an honorable man and trustworthy to be alone with him. He would not take advantage of her at all because she was also risking herself by doing that. In verse 8, the phrase here startled the man. It, it, this was why I go hold to that is probably because his feet were cold. The, the Hebrew for that translation there simply means the man trembled. So it's like he was cold. So he, he like woke up and said, oh man, my feet are all, oh, and then there was a body there laying. So yeah, he's startled in the sense too of find someone, a woman laying there. Yeah, and, and, and so, let's see. Yeah, there he is. So he woke up and he's talking to uh, Ruth and he's interacting with her. Ruth pursued this marriage that would benefit Naomi because Ruth was not an Israelite but marrying Boaz would be potentially beneficial for Naomi and her family line as well. So it's another um, example of her self-sacrifice in this. Boaz was significantly older than Ruth. 
remember Boaz referred to Ruth last chapter. If you couldn't remember, he referred to her as a young woman. And then here, he refers to her as my daughter. You know, um, if I met somebody my age, I'm not going to usually refer to women that way. You know, young women, my daughter, you know, it's just, you don't do that, right? But it shows this big age difference. And so we would guess Ruth is probably in her mid-20s. And Boaz was probably late 40s, maybe 50s even. And uh, yeah, am I getting this wrong, May? Or is about that right? <laughs> Too old? <laughs> yeah, so there's this age difference. Ruth's self-sacrifice and faithfulness here even has been noticed in the town. Boaz says, the town people have noticed you are a woman of noble character. This is such a testimony. And this phrase, a woman of noble character, means literally a woman of strength. A strength in the Lord in that context. And Proverbs 31.10, this famous chapter of the noble wife, right? This um, describes this noble wife saying this, a wife of noble character who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. She's so valuable, priceless, in a sense, if we are a person who follows Jesus and we are of noble character. Yeah, and so I, I've heard this before. I can't remember who it's from, but faithfulness to God in the little things of life is a big thing. Or maybe if I was President Trump, I would say, it's huge, you know? <laughs> it's a huge thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's just faithfulness in the little things is so big. So self-sacrifice may require for you and me risking our reputation to do what really pleases the Lord. I mean, um, doing what God wants regardless of what other people think. It's, it's, this is self-sacrifice, which God desires of us who follow him. That's faithfulness. You know, it's interesting our country's history in 1961, President John F. Kennedy. Uh, he became president in 1961. And in his inaugural address, he said these famous words. If you haven't heard this, this is a good history lesson for you. But he had this famous phrase. He said, ask not what your country can do for you. That's right. Yeah, and he caught it. He was challenging us as Americans to self-sacrifice. Don't make it all about you. Make it about what you can do, in his case, for your country. For us, for our Lord Christ, and for the others that he values on this earth, which is everyone, right? <laughs> he values every one of us. Not what we do for ourselves. So we throw it out. What about you? What about you? Do, you, do your own needs preoccupy the center of your thoughts every day? so much so that you're ignoring the needs of others around you? I mean, we could appeal to, yeah, I'm so busy with my family responsibilities and my school or my work schedule or maybe I've just got so much, I got to take care of my kids all the time, you know. But are we willing to follow the self-sacrificing example of our Lord Christ Jesus? And if so, to just look closely at the people around us. Even the people that we think are keeping us so busy, they are the ones that might have need and giving us an opportunity to point them to Jesus. We're just not aware of the opportunities right around us. Observe their needs. Ask God to work through us, to use us then of the need and the opportunity he gives 
to be faithful to him by pointing them to Jesus as we serve them. We got something coming up, and uh, Nathan, correct me if I'm wrong, it's on August 17th. We're going to do a beach cleaning. Sure. <laughs> that is, I checked on it. August 17th. We're doing that through cost. We haven't, you haven't heard about it yet, but that's an opportunity that we're going to be letting you know about. We're going to go over there and help the community uh, on a beach. It's going to be cool. Maybe wear your swimsuit. You could go and dip, go clean the beach, and then go for a dip, clean the beach. I don't know if that would be appropriate but or not, but we would be cleaning the beach. We have opportunities to teach our children to be a classroom assistants, any way to help our children's ministry. We desperately need women to invest in our youth. And we need a woman adult counselor to help with our youth, invest in them. Uh, we, we have all kinds of needs in this community. Then there's the needs of our families and our communities where we live. There's so many needs out there. How has God designed you and given you the design to serve them? What skills do you have? What passions do you have? You can use them for the glory of the Lord Christ and point people to Jesus and the hope that he gives us. Faithfulness is displayed in self-sacrifice. Let's continue with our story. Now, although it is true, this is Boaz talking to Ruth, that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do this, do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, See, no hinky stuff happening there. Think about laying at someone's feet. That's kind of gross, right? Yeah, so nothing sexual. So he's laying at at his feet until morning. And I lost my place. Yeah. But got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Why would he say that? Because... The gossips in town, maybe, right? He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, I would imagine she's pretty anxious, (laughs) she asked, how did it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This kind of indicates another aspect of our faithfulness to the Lord God. We are to take the opportunity he gives us when we see a need and opportunity and to be self-sacrificial, but we also, then faithfulness is displayed in our patience and doing what we can, but then waiting on the Lord. Patience relies wholeheartedly that God is concerned for us as the Lord God. He loves us, and he wants the best for us, and we can rest in that truth. Ruth obeyed everything Boaz told her to do because she trusted in Boaz's concern for her at that moment because of what he said. And despite appearances, God wants us to know that we can trust him, even though oftentimes we see that maybe he's not, we feel like he's not speaking to us. But have you ever thought that his silence might actually be a sign of his concern for you? It's just our perspective. He's trying to help us see things more clearly, maybe, because we're thinking in the wrong direction. And Boaz 
shows his commitment to take care of Ruth and Naomi by saying this phrase, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. So he really wants to provide for them with this six measures of barley. Yeah, and we can have patience because God is committed to us. He sent his son Christ to come and to die for our sins and to rise again. That shows his commitment to us, his people, when we turn to him. And listen to what Deuteronomy 31 eights on this note. The Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Our patience rests on the fact that God and his character is that he is for us and not against us. Next week, we'll see that Boaz was true to his word. He, that next morning, he, he went into action. And he tried to bring about what he said he would do. And this is the character of God. Steadfast, loyal, unchanging. He says what he says, he does. Actually, his word that goes out becomes reality, right? In the whole chapter one of Genesis, right? God said, and then it was. We can trust in the word of God. His character frees us to relax and wait patiently after we have acted in the sense of what he's called us to do. We cannot manipulate things to work out the way we want. We can relax and be patient because God does not relax. His character is always loyal to what he says he will do and he is always at work. God is trustworthy. And so have patience and wait in the Lord. So being faithful in the sense to God by seeing a need and opportunity, how they interact as coming from God, and being self-sacrificial in the way we serve others and point them to Jesus, and then to be patient. These are all signs of our faithfulness to the Lord God. So the question that lies before us today is what opportunities are there that we see to serve others in the glory and the name of Jesus our Lord and tell them about them? Let's pray. Lord, we ask you in humbleness. Well, we don't even need to ask you to be patient with us because you have proven over and over again of your great patience with us. We see your patience in the scriptures, in the Old Testament with your people Israel where they failed time and time and time and time again. And the same applies to us that in Christ you have taken care of our sin And that by faith in him, we can experience your grace and redemption. Lord, we pray that the patience you've had with us would be part of our lives, that the patience we show toward others as we pray for them and serve them and share with them the hope we have in you as the Lord and Savior of this world. Lord, give us the eyes, increase the sensitivity of our radar of how you're working all around us so that we can see life as the adventure of seeing and knowing and being a part of what you're doing right here in our sphere of influence. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.